Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost Politics podcast. My name is Owen Bennett. Joining me this week, I have Ned Simons, Paul War and Graham Demonick, and we'll be talking about the historic climate change deal in Paris. Will it save the world? The NHS funding crisis became very real this week after a report revealed just how in debt some of the trusts are. David Cameron will be trying to woo 27 people simultaneously at dinner tonight in Brussels as part of his big EU renegotiation. And we'll be looking back over 2015, revealing our winners and losers of the year and looking forward to next year to see what we're all looking forward to. But we're going to start with the climate change deal in Paris. And here is the big man himself, Barack Obama, giving his view on the deal. No agreement is perfect, including this one. Negotiations that involve nearly 200 nations are always challenging. Even if all the initial targets set in Paris are met, we'll only be part of the way there when it comes to reducing carbon from the atmosphere. So we cannot be complacent because of today's agreement. The problem's not solved because of this accord. That's Barack Obama there giving his view on the historic climate change deal. Paul, why was it just so historic, this deal? It's such an overused word, isn't it, historic for deals of any kind, but it's not every day you can write an intro that says, the world agreed last night. And that's exactly what happened. You have 195 different countries around the planet, all with a common interest in the planet surviving, and all got conflicting interests about how you get there. To get them round a table to agree anything was quite amazing. To big get, table, big to, table. Hell of a table. To get them in Paris at this, at this conference to agree substantive changes in their behaviour, stuff that involved short-term pain to their economies, was an even more uh, remarkable achievement. But is it, I mean, one of the things they promised, or they sort of, it's aspirations, they're going to keep global warming to 1.5 degrees instead of the previous amount, which was 2 degrees. But they weren't on course to make the 2 degrees anyway, so they're promising to do something even more than they weren't doing anyway, if that makes sense. I mean, I did an interview with Naomi Klein, who's a, an activist from Canada, uh, she's written lots of books about this kind of stuff. She's kind of like the Canadian female Owen Jones. Everyone loves her. She's a bit, bit better than Owen Jones. Well, that's not, for me to, what? that's not for me to say. You know. Whoa. <laughs> Owen, Owen, if you're listening, that was Paul Wall who said that. And one of the things she said, it's like someone who's got very high cholesterol promising to only eat four burgers a day instead of five and then saying, everyone must praise me for it. And it was this weird moment when they announced the deal when everyone jumped up and clapped and hugged each other like they just won the Olympics. Like they're right. going to do something as if they've actually done it. So far, yeah. they're so different things, aren't they? I thought it was a heartwarming moment there. It showed that actually Heartwarming? Isn't that what we're against? <laughs> and doesn't it, does it, isn't it already kind of ring hollow a little bit when you've had this historic deal on, on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was, and then come Friday, the government's announcing that cuts to solar, solar panel funding, and there are, there, are, there are reasons why they might, they might do that, but just in a kind of messaging term, it already sounds like, well, do they, do they, do they really mean it? Do they really mean what they've What I thought was to? funny was in the Commons this week, Amber Rudd, the um, Energy and Climate Change Secretary, stand up and gave you know the, her sort of report from Paris about how we're going to reduce carbon emissions. And then they talked about 
the next sort of thing was aviation expansion. And they yeah. were sort of doing the dots. Whoa, hold on yeah. a minute. Maybe we shouldn't be doing any more bloody runways then. And well, it, it just all seemed a bit odd to me. It was the same with Prime Minister and PMQs. He made a very valid point that actually Labour, on the one hand, are really, really keen on climate change, combating it, and very, very green, and particularly under Jeremy Corbyn. Yet at the same time, the official Labour policy is to, you know, save coal mines and help the coal industry. You can't do everything. You're going to have to have an overall vision towards getting there. I'm kind of curious as where we are in the kind of cycle of, of whether people care about the environment and climate change or not. I was remembering kind of 2006, the Stern Review and how important it was then. But that was kind of pre a recession, pre kind of global terror being, being the big thing. So, so climate change was, 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 was top of the pile in terms of well, that's politicians wanting to get hospital, their leg over. Um, but I suspect at the moment it's kind of, it's kind of middling. We're still it's coming out of it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, for the last the five years from 2010 to 2015, they've never mentioned it at all. You never get a minister talking about how we need to tackle climate change. So it does seem... Well, but the reason Ed, Ed, Ed Davey from the Lib Dems would disagree with that. I mean, he, he, you oh, look at some of the stuff that the Lib Dems yeah. did in government, rare defence the Lib Dems here, and they were very good actually on getting some of these green things in, getting a green investment bank. And the government have completely just got rid of all of that. Now they're governing by themselves. The Tories have, you know, they're even putting the carbon tax levy on renewable energies. They're saying it's because they want to deliver value for money, and that's more important at the moment. So which is exactly right, fits into when the times are good, they're not going to... Going about climate change. But there is a reason why it's back on the agenda, a very good reason. It's back on the agenda of every MP or lots of MPs who are in rural constituencies flooding. And that's why David Cameron, you know, got burnt by flooding in 2007. He was really quite wobbly in opposition on that. Um, we're going back to, and at the time, he was hugging huskies. He began to think, well, actually, this matters. Last year, when there were the floods, really dramatic floods at the beginning of the year, he made this link between climate change and extreme weather events. Now, there's not a huge amount of science really that backs it up, but there is some growing body of science that does do that. And it's significant you've got a Prime Minister making that link, Liz Truss makes that link, whereas Owen Paterson loathed the idea. Um, and yet, curiously this week, Amber Rudd slightly backed off that. So you've got Amber Rudd who's doing the sort of sceptic approach, um, and you've got Liz Truss and the Prime Minister really trying to say, look, this really matters. And there's nothing that will bring home climate change more to you if it is indeed linked to, to flooding. Um, and you've, your own constituents are up in their knees with all this effluent. Cameron famously was, some reported him saying that he wants to get rid of all the green crap referring to environmental policies. Um, if you're living in Cockermouth, that's got uh, an ironic tone, green crap swilling around your legs. Oh, there we are, nice page joke there from Paul. Christmas, everybody. Yeah. Um, one of the things close to home was NHS funding. A report came out this week from the National Audit Office, which looked at the financial state of many NHS trusts around the country, and it was it was pretty scary actually, just seeing how in debt and how little money some of these organisations have got. Um, Jeremy Corbyn brought this up in PMQs. Here is a very quick clip. Can he confirm that NHS trusts are forecasting a deficit of 2.2 billion this year? And indeed, I understand that the Prime Minister, as part of the Oxford anti-austerity movement, will be concerned about this, that his own local health care trust is predicting a 1.7 million deficit. There is a problem of NHS funding. Has he not for, has he forgotten the simple maxim that prevention is cheaper and better than cure? Now, the National, National Audit Office report, a bit of a tongue there, which came out on, I think it was Wednesday, was way behind the times because Paul War already had a story about this up on Huffington Post. Scoop alert. Scoop alert. Paul, tell us the story you got because this was also quite shocking. Well, this was about the fact that 
trusts are in such financial dire straits that they're having to take out loans to, in fact, pay their salaries of the doctors and nurses at the end of every month. Which, if all of us around here were told by your chief executive or your boss, don't worry, you get a little email saying, don't worry, you will be paid at the end of this month. You know, we've taken out a loan to cover it. You'd be kind of worried. But that's happening at trusts across the country. And we found out several of these trusts uh, are taking out big loans, multi-million pound loans, literally to pay salaries. But also to pay the electricity bill, to pay the drugs bill. They're, they're in deficit. And the curious thing about the government and this whole arrangement of the NHS's finances is that where do they loan the money from? From the Department of Health. So it goes in a little circle. And the Department of Health, to deter them from taking out a loan and deter them from running up a deficit, charges them interest of 1.5%. So it's all weird robbing Peter to pay for like finances. If I was, you know, owe my landlord money, and then I borrowed the money off him to pay him his rent, and then he put massive interest on it, and he just wouldn't be getting anywhere. It's just basically what's happening. It's bizarre. It's, it's a device, which a little notice device that Jeremy Hunt introduced last year, but only is kicking in this year, whereby he switched from giving hospitals that were in deficit free cash, free money, this thing called a public dividend capital, um, to changing that into loans, saying, well, actually, you can't have this money. If you're running up a deficit, I'm not going to bail you out straight away, it wanted to terrify their finance directors by saying, you're going to have to take out a loan, it's going to pay interest. So it's, a, it's a deterrent more than anything else. Unfortunately, these guys are, are calling his bluff. They're all taking out these loans. And the, the daily reality is that without these loans, the hospital consultants have told us that actually their salaries wouldn't be paid. It's quite shocking. And it's not really seen to be working, sorry, Graham, because it's, I mean, one of the things that came out in this report was the number of trusts reporting a deficit rose by 57% in just six months from March, September this year. That is, that is freeful. Yeah. No, I know. I totally agree. But is it, haven't these problems been brewing for, for, for a long time? I know, I know kind of Hunt's in the kind of firing line for this one, but, but PFI deals saddled uh, many trusts with, with, with big debt and, and huge interest on those debts. These things have been knocking around for a, for a long time and nobody's really kind of seized the initiative on this one and said, well, well, well how, do we, how do we deal with this? And I'm not quite sure if... Well, the PFI deal is one of the things identified by right. the support. And the other thing that it says was there's been a massive increase in the use of non-permanent staff, such as agency workers, up 24% in just two years. And obviously when you hire in someone on a daily rate, it's going to be more expensive than if you have someone in on a, on a sort of weekly rate. And again, it isn't innocent for the reason for that. The reason all these new staff are being hired is because after the Francis report on mid-staffs, the government says, hey, you've got to have safe staffing levels on your wards. And people are, are struggling, hospitals are struggling to fill their wards with enough staff, so they're hiring agency staff. So there's a massive problem for hospitals up and down the country who are facing these huge pressures from government, do more, hire more people, but they haven't got the money to do it. And although we've got a record amount of money going to the NHS from the government, a record amount, a lot of the finance directors and the experts I talked to at the King's Fund say it's still not enough because the pressures are so big. Speaking of financial pressures, that leads us nicely onto this week's quiz. <laughs> Does it? Not really. <laughs> no, just bear with <laughs> me, right? Segway, just bear with me on this one. Uh, this quiz is called... <laughs> I'm not going to like it, I can you, tell. Ned, just listen. I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> right? Uh, haven't we all, mate? It's a haven't Star Wars-related yes. quiz. <laughs> we gotcha. Right? So this is... <laughs> Ned, just listen. Yeah. Shut up. This is a quiz based on the fact that a few years ago... A couple of years ago, 2012, 2013, I didn't write that bit down. That's not important. Yeah. A petition Something was put... happened in the past. Yeah. yeah. Just 
time ago, yeah. a petition was <laughs> a long put... time ago. In a galaxy. Right. No, just stop it. A petition was put to the White House asking whether or not they'd build a Death Star. Right. Okay? Yeah. And they gave a response. Oh, I remember As this. to why yeah. they couldn't. Um, and I'm going to give you some reasons that they gave, some of which are true reasons they gave, and some of which are false, that I've made up with people in the office. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You've got to decide... So many research then. ...whether <laughs> it's dark side, not true, or White House true, so dark side of White House. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, that's... Dark side of White House. Yeah, I'm writing that down, yeah, yeah Okay, so... The petition was... The response was called, this isn't the petition response you're looking for. And it starts by saying, the administration shares your desire for job creation and a strong national defence, but a Death Star isn't on the horizon. Here are a few reasons. Okay, ready? The administration does not support blowing up planets. White House. Is that Dark Side or White House? That's Dark Side. That's got to be untrue. White House. I'm going full. Ned saying White, full. Yeah, White House. So yeah, that's a, that's a good reason not to... Right. You're right. It is White House. That was one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, obtaining permission to build such a weapon from the intergalactic senate would involve making deals with star systems which do not share our human rights standards yeah dark side Ned's saying dark side yeah. Ned doesn't think it's true I'm, this is Paul, Paul, Paul. I'm going to go dark side again Paul's it's going too dark elaborate it's, it's too, too good too good no no a white, a white house you I think, think they did say yeah, that yeah I think they did you're an idiot yeah. <laughs> that was made up the construction of the Death Star has been estimated to cost more than 850 quadrillion dollars. We're working hard to reduce the deficit, not expand it. Yeah, this is very sensible to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah White House. White House. White House. Dark side. It's so good that it can't be true. That is White House. That was one wow, of the reasons. Wow, they actually said it. Brilliant. Uh, Another one was uh, George Lucas has already sent the White House a cease and desist letter which prevents us from moving forward with this project even in a planning stage. <laughs> Is that... <laughs> are you playing along at home with this movie? Yeah, yeah. That's nice no, and funny. That's got to be dark. dark yeah, side. somebody from the office wrote that, right? Yeah, I wrote, I wrote that. Actually, that was written by... Uh, that was written by... I think it's Ryan of our HuffPost comedy team. Comedy team, And yeah. Jesse of our HuffPost blog team. So there we are. And... Uh, finally, why would we spend countless taxpayer dollars on a Death Star with a fundamental flaw that can be exploited by a one-man starship? <laughs> I want that to be true. That's very White House. Good White House. Graham? Yeah, White House. It was White House. Yeah. So there we are. So that was... Uh, well done, White I've got House. a bad feeling about this, Chris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine down the street having a bounce of sense of humour like that? Lib Dem press office would do that, wouldn't they? I think nothing else would do, wouldn't they? Yeah, they've got time. Um, speaking of a sense of humour... David Cameron's in renegotiation. All right? Is it a like joke? Yeah. Is it a joke? He's he's got a big dinner tonight, and he's got to try and finally persuade the members, the other members of the EU, to sort of give him something <laughs> to come back and say, "I've got a deal." Here's uh, John Major, that well-known uh, lover of the EU, earlier this week talking about Cameron's renegotiation. The whole world is coming together, and for uh, United Kingdom, 67 million out of a world population of seven billion to break off and head into splendid isolation doesn't seem to me to be in our interest now or, perhaps more important, in the interests of our children and our grandchildren and future generation. Graham, what do you think about this? Do you think that Cameron's going to get anything that can change people's mind if people's mind's already made up in the EU? Uh, well, I don't think he's going to get anything this weekend, is he? I don't think. I think this is the the, the end of the beginning, or or whatever the church. Is that or, another Star Wars film? The, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's the next one. <laughs> That's part um, nine. Right. 
it, yeah, I, it, this is just going to be kicked down the road a bit again and again. And, and the one bit of it that they're kicking down the road is the four-year ban on uh, migrant benefits. In um, work benefits. In work benefits. Yeah. Um, and when's it, when's it going to when, when's it going to happen, Paul? I mean, I, when has he run out of road? It's not got off to a good start, has it? Because on, Donald Tusk, the president of the European Council, about half an hour ago, said that um, some of the demands are unacceptable. So. That's going well, isn't it? Then he yet? would say that when he's part of renegotiation. He's not going to say, <laughs> "Yeah, fine, have it all." There you yeah. go. But it, it doesn't seem a good start. Really. It is well, a grand poker game. The whole thing is a poker game. It's just with a, a lot of players around the table. A hell of a lot. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Apart from Cameron. Yeah. And um, this week, only last night, um, David Cameron addressed the 1922 committee for his sort of Christmas farewell. And he made quite clear to them that he was confident that he was going to get some change, but he warned them, look, you've got to be, you've got to be prepared, that this, this could take some time. And he told them, he reminded them that in 1984, Margaret Thatcher, whom all the 1922 backbenchers love, of course, um, she said at the time that uh, she needed 10 keys to turn the lock on getting a budget rebate for the UK. There were only 10 other players around the table at the time. It's hard to imagine now, 10 others. Um, but she still got what she wanted. He said, look, I need 27 keys to turn the lock. So that's the Prime Minister himself saying, look, this is going to be really bloody hard to do. It's not saying he's giving up. But, but, they're, but they're playing up the fact that it's yeah. hard, because if, it's, if it, they can say it's hard, it means they can say to your sceptics, look, this was really, really hard, this is the best we can get. If it's easy, then what's the point? Like, yeah. They've got to pay up that it's difficult. But the fact is that it looks like it's not going to be this summit, it's going to be February or March before he even gets a deal. And if it's going to be February or March, and he will come away with what um, I think uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg talked of as thin gruel, and a lot of the Eurosceptics think it won't amount to much. But what he does actually get then will mean probably a referendum maybe in June or September, more likely September now it looks like. But the Eurosceptics, just like John Major, from both sides of this debate, are both saying the pros and the antis, the ins and the outs, are both saying the same thing. This renegotiation of Prime Minister doesn't matter. No. What matters is the bigger picture. Are we better off in Europe? Are we safer in Europe? And if you can answer both those questions either way, we'll see which way the British... But, the, but the, the safer in Europe point has only been used recently. I mean, Cameron talked about that before the Paris attacks. It's, it's become a bit more of a theme now. Our, is our actual security safe from the European Union? It's not something which I've heard. I wasn't hearing that a year ago, but I'm starting to hear that a bit, a bit more now as one of the arguments for us staying in. Um, John Major there leads us nicely onto Graham's Stat of the Week. Yep, start the week. Let's get me. Um, still no jingle. Is that Look, in there? who knows what's under your Christmas tree? Oh, <laughs> All right. It oh, might be a little bit of jingle. You tease me, Mr. Bennett. Thank you very much. So start the week. Let me get my reading glasses on. Uh, it's it's related to John Major, yes, as, you, as, you, as, you, as you established. Yeah. Um, in one way, John Major was the most popular prime minister this country has ever had. It says here. In 1992, he won the highest number of votes of any prime minister ever which was 14, <laughs> basically 14 million, but only had a, a, a parliamentary majority of 21. Really? Wow. What, what did Tony Blair get for Well, Tony Blair, I'm glad you've asked, Tony. Um, Tony yeah. Blair in 1907 got 13.5 million votes wow. and a majority, a thumping majority, you might say, of 179. This year, David Cameron got 11.3 million votes and a majority of just 12. Wow. So, That's Impressive, particularly as Owen's managed to write every single sentence wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in, it's different, different. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I wrote it, it wrong, but different. Well, if you're still awake out there, 
Um, we're going to now move on to um, 2015, winners and losers. But we've actually got a Christmas message, haven't we? We've got a Christmas we've got, message. We've got an actual, from an actual politician. An actual real life politician. He's right? a big fan. A big fan. <laughs> Big fr- a friend, a friend of Hudson Another friend of Hudson, okay. Um, so I had a, a, a Christmas is coming and the, the, the news is getting thin and um, we've, got our, <laughs> we've, got our, we've got a whole load of, of Christmas specials coming up that we've just kind of brought out this of our back. This is not how you pitch this. This is, um, what include, one of them will be um, My Year with the Trolls with Jamie Reid. Jamie Reid, Labour MP, uh, who became a kind of lightning rod um, for Corbyn Easter's and uh, anyone who wants to describe a Labour politician as a red Tory or... Can I just say though, Go on. why did he become a lightning rod? Because he resigned within seconds, <laughs> literally seconds, yeah, yeah. of Jeremy Corbyn He tweeted it made. before Corbyn had even got to the podium <laughs> yeah. to, to say thank you for electing me. Jeremy had already resigned on Twitter. Yeah. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying hard shot first. No, well, we'll, it, we'll find out more about his, his views Sorry, on, on that really in, the, in the feature. Wait the feature for the stocking filler. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I uh, asked him for a message to his fans or not so big fans, and this is what he, um, he gave to us. Um, buy a dictionary and a thesaurus, um, and a simple guide to grammar would help. 140 characters is no excuse. Well, fair enough. Just want to say, background noise there, where, where was that recorded, Graham? That was Stranger's Bar. Stranger's the, Bar? The uh, favoured watering hole. About what time West. was that? <laughs> I mean, what are, you, what, are you, what are you scratching at? I'm what saying you? that you were drinking quite early yesterday, weren't you? I was. I, I was. Oh, I don't. It's quite fruity. Yeah. So I don't think Paul knows this. Is I, it? Uh, I think it's excellent research. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. The gas has signed it off. Because I kept. I saw you in there. Trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> what? And you were already quite. What? Few, quite, when I saw you in Strangers yesterday, you were already. These, these are lies. Right. These, these okay. are all lies. Anyway, you were hearing from my lawyer in yeah. the morning, Owen Bennett. Enough of that. 2015. Let's do biggest winners and losers. Uh, Paul, who was your biggest winner of 2015? Undeniably. David Cameron, not just because he won the general election, the first one that gave him his own personal mandate to be Prime Minister without a coalition, but also because he's grown into the role, he looks Prime Ministerial, I'm sure a lot of that swayed people. I mean, I talked to some cabinet ministers this week who said he's got a rock star quality, believe it or not, when he turns up into a a constituency, a marginal seat. Really? Uh, And yeah, believe it or not, that's what they think. Um, And... Fair play to him. He organised, he let George Osborne and Linton Crosby run the campaign, let them get on with it, a very effective campaign. They voided the exploit, the SNP factor against Labour, voided the exploit, the Ed Stone and everything else. And um, you've got to give the guy massive credit. To come out of that volatile situation with a working majority is quite something. And your loser? Loser of the year? Loser of the year, in my book, is Tony Blair. Why? He's lost the Labour Party. Just as that famous line from Neil Kinnock when Ed Miliband was elected, you know, we've got our party back. Boy, um, the left got their party back under Jeremy Corbyn. And Tony Blair and people who follow him, now they don't even use his name. They dare not call themselves Blairites. Things are so bad on the so-called moderate wing of the Labour Party. No one calls themselves a moderate. They just call themselves an anti-Corbyn. Ned? Who's your, who's your winner of the year? I think mine are quite similar. Winner, Corbyn. I mean, if David Cameron was an unexpected winner, I think Corbyn winning leadership is even more unexpected. So for him, the left of the Labour Party, extraordinary. And I think my loser then would be the parliamentary Labour Party, all the MPs who didn't want him as leader and are now stuck with him for probably quite a long time. 
Absolutely. Uh, Graham? Um, so my winner is Mari Black. Um, I think she's the figurehead of, of the, 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 SN, the SNP in Westminster. She's not, not the leader, but 21 years old, very popular character. Her maiden speech was um, hugely well-received kind of on, online, millions of people people watched it. Um, she seemed to represent the, the kind of tsunami that was the SNP that, you know, in, in a year of huge stories, that, that was another one just swept Labour aside in, in, in Scotland. Um, so they're winners and she's probably the biggest winner, winner of them. Uh, losers, uh, the, dear old, the dear old Lib Dems. I mean, we were, before the election, we were talking about kind of eternal Nick Clegg and, and kind of <laughs> coalition from coalition from here until decades and decades. It was it was decided he would always hold the balance of power, but actually, for reasons Paul outlined to do with Cameron's, you know, great great escape or or, or or whatever it was, they were pretty much wiped off the electoral map. Huge majorities that they had in the southwest just gone like that, which kind of showed. The, the, the voters are pretty, you know, you could, be a good, you could be a good MP for many, many years of a huge majority, but if, you're, if you or your party does something wrong, you can... You went up there, mate. Trade. You sound a little... I know. Bit <laughs> <like> <laughs> Norman Baker's all right. He's voice, got a book out. Do you want to said his voice cracking. Nick yeah. Clegg called me a dumbass last year, so I was quite pleased with what happened. I've always liked Nick Clegg. He called me a dumbass. Anyway, my winner of the year is Nigel Farage because he finally got the EU referendum that he always wanted and my loser of the year is Nigel Farage because he managed to not win a seat again in Parliament. Uh, yeah. If only there was if a, only, if only, <laughs> if only there was a tome that had recorded. There is a book, isn't there? I don't, I don't think it's there is. It's coming up to Christmas. I think it's a perfect no, Christmas gift, isn't it? Very, very quickly, and I mean this quickly, what you're looking forward to in 2016, Ned? Politically, not personally. <laughs> Ned? Personally and politically, uh, the American election, 2016. Paul? Labour's conference in Liverpool is going to be a, a bun fight. It's going oh, to be particularly because of, of, of the context of, you know, militant oh. and the backdrop. It's going to be great. Fantastic. Graham? Local elections sound really boring, but the first big test of Corbynism. See if it succeeds or not. For me, EU referendum, I think it's going to be, as Paul said earlier on, I think it'll be sort of June next year. Thank you very much for listening. And in the words of... Jeremy Corbyn, happy Christmas. Not season's greetings like Cameron tried to make out. Happy Christmas to all you Commons people out there. And we'll see you in 2016, yeah? Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.